to the Pirate Monk Podcast. This is episode 58. This is Aaron Porter here with Mr. Mondo Grimes and hmm, Lieutenant. Oh, I'm a lieutenant this week. Charlie Gordon. Left, <laughs> what was I say? Nate Larkin in Studio A.5 and beautiful monsoon Franklin, Tennessee, oh, yeah. high atop the Mellow Mushroom. See, I, I got the whole thing down. Yeah, yeah, Even yeah. It is apparently monsoon, monsoon season, and Franklin has moved to Cambodia, apparently, judging by the deluge outdoors. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's good to be inside, good to be dry, yes, good to be good with to be Aaron Porter back, and Mondo. Back yeah. in America. Yes! Yeah. He's back again. This time from Tanzania. Yeah, yeah. Man, what a great trip that was. It went all too fast. I was only gone a week, but uh, yeah, I got my first look at Tanzania in 35 years. Uh, quite a bit has changed, really, since I was there as a college kid. There's not quite as much snow on the peaks of Kilimanjaro. Oh, really? Uh, a whole lot more cars on the road. Oh, yeah. And uh, everybody carries a cell phone now. It's kind of weird to see a Maasai warrior. With a cell phone. Yeah, yeah, standing in the middle of the field, you know, wrapped in a blanket, standing on one foot, propped up on his spear, talking on his cell phone. But that they is, do. Man, where, where does he carry that thing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of life's great mysteries. Yeah. <laughs> but I had a really good time. I had low expectations. Hmm. And uh, I was invited by uh, my uncle okay. to uh, spend a week as an in instructor at the Kilimanjaro Christian College in the graduate program. They have uh, students who've graduated from the diploma course uh, who are conversant in English because the graduate courses are all taught in English. Uh, these students are all engaged, actively engaged in ministry. Most of them are pastors. Some of them are overseers of multiple churches. And they come three times a year for a, uh, a four-week mini-semester, four uh, one-week intensive courses. And I was invited to come and teach on the subject of preaching, which for me was just like an open door. It was an excuse to talk really about it. Uh, the authentic life about ministry, about Samson. Uh, and I had, I was very impressed with the students. And, and I had fun kind of uh, breaking their paradigms and blowing their minds. Mm. So I started out by, you know, confessing my own sin and, uh, you know, talking about sin in the present tense. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was. It was uh, they received it with such eagerness. You know, they said we've n we have we've never heard uh, anybody in leadership talk like this. But it resonated with their own mm -hmm. stories and their own experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, we we had such a I taught five hours a day for five days, and we had such a wonderful time together. Um, formed a great bond of affection with those students and with the school. I plan now to go back uh, at least once a year to teach in that program. And in fact, I'm going to want somebody to go back with me next mm. year uh, mm. to teach these students in their second year. It's a two, the master's program is a two-year 
a graduate program. It's a two-year program. So um, I, uh, I'll teach preaching again to first-year students next year. Uh, and at the same time, these students will be in another building on the campus, and we'll need somebody to do some instruction there. So uh, I'm praying God will send the right person to come with me to teach. Uh, got a great uh, reminder of the universality of the church. It's amazing the dedication that these people have to ministry, uh, the conditions under which they live and work. You know, um, the, I'm also going to set up, by the way, a, uh, a financial aid fund for the college. The uh, tuition for these students for a year of study is $300, which seems like nothing, you know. All right, all right. But if your annual salary is $1,000, 300. 300 bucks is a big chunk of change. Yeah. And um, so several of the students are there on partial scholarship. There just isn't enough uh, money in the school to do more than that. Uh, and they believe everybody should be paying something anyway. Uh, but with a little more uh, financial aid, we can get more students in there. And what a way to, uh, to affect an entire culture. These are... They're not just pastors. These people are community leaders. Wait, wait, wait. If, if we did that, what would the white people do? <laughs> I, uh, where do they come into play here? Yeah, yeah. You're, yeah. you're saying indigenous people go serve their own communities? Yeah, right, this exactly. This is not the Euro missionary way. Mm-hmm. We need to go to our next segment. Uh, <laughs> names off the reservation altogether. Yeah, the wonderful thing is that the old model that didn't work so well is breaking down. Uh, the Europeans and Americans who are there working are very much now in a servant and supportive role rather than a leadership uh, role. Uh, you know, the director of the college is, uh, you know, a Tanzanian guy, a very impressive uh, Tanzanian professional. He used to work uh, for the government, um, and uh, I was able to give, give him a laptop, which helps him a ton. Oh, wow was able to get a, uh, a stove for the college. Here's a college, and they're cooking on charcoal fires. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so we're able to kind of remedy that situation. But, um, yeah, anyway, I came back all fired up about Tanzania. I'll tell you, it's, uh, it's an exciting place. God's at work. But here's the thing. The same issues that men face in the United States of America, they face in Tanzania. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody was able to relate to my story. And, uh, and uh, you know, it was interesting. Can, maybe we'll, uh, I'll just recap one of the uh, conversations that we had. This college was founded in the holiness tradition. And in fact, the sign at the gate to the college says, you know, Kilimanjaro Christian College, holiness, that's our stand. And that's a good thing. I mean, we're committed to holiness, right? Really? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so now, the, so the issue comes up during discussion in class, what do you do with the person who is caught in sexual sin in church? Now, the default mode, the one that, very often churches in this tradition uh, immediately move to is the one that we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where you know 
Paul says, I hear that there's immorality, sexual immorality in the church, such as not even the pagans tolerate. A man has his father's wife. This not ought to be. This is infecting the church. You need to put, the, put this brother out, turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his soul may be saved. Really, really harsh stuff. And that really is the practice that they have, uh, many of these churches in East Africa, have adopted. Somebody gets uh, you know, discovered in sexual sin, then boom, you put them out of the church. Uh, or at the very least, you make them, you put them in front of the church, make them do a full confession. Let's humiliate them as much as possible, and then move them. If they don't, if they're not kicked out of the church, they have to move to the back of the uh, sanctuary to sit in the back row. Uh, so we talked about, you know, how how do we create a community that is safe enough for us, everybody, to bring our real selves, a place where you actually can commit, or you actually can confess your sin and find a way out of it without the fear of being, you know, thrown out of the church. And so, I really believe, and this is what I shared with, with the pastors there, and, and, uh, and they went with me on it. I think that that example in 1 Corinthians is not normative. I believe that example... Uh, Paul was dealing with not just sin in the church, but an unrepentant sinner in the church and a lack, lackadaisical attitude toward sin and holiness. Everybody knew what was going on. He wasn't repentant. The church was just tolerating it. And so, you know, the standards for protecting the family, protecting marriage were threatened. The guy had to be set out. However, it's pretty clear to me that by the time Paul wrote his second letter to the church in Corinth, in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, he, he immediately gets to the point that, that it's time to restore this brother. Apparently, the guy had repented. And Paul said, you know, restore him quickly. And he talks also in Galatians about if anybody has sinned, restore him in a spirit of humility, uh, taking care lest you yourself be tempted. I think the normative, I mean, it it may happen that we have somebody in the church who is an unrepentant sinner. They're blatant. They're brazen. And if we allow that attitude towards sin to be adopted in the church, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna be destructive. But that's not usually what we're dealing with. What we're usually dealing with is believers who are, um, you know, uh, bound by sin deeply. Sorrowful, they're trapped in whatever uh, sinful uh, behavior they've been ensnared in. They're not throwing it in people's faces. Um, and I think, in that case, we should take our model from the way Jesus responded to the woman caught in adultery. I think the Pharisees were operating on the old model. Let's take her outside the city, and then let's stone her. And Jesus really broke that model. And so the question, you know, so we got, we had a great discussion about shame, the function of shame. Can we actually shame people into righteous living? I don't think so. I think we only shame people into hiding. It was an invigorating discussion with these folks. 
because they knew that the model that they were using really wasn't bringing the results they wanted. And I don't think that that, that, that uh, you, know, you know, the harsh and I think fear-based instant reaction against, especially sexual sin in the church, where, you know, immediately all the sirens go off and, you know, we got to put this person out right away, you know. I, I think that just makes the church an unsafe place, which means that everybody in the church who is struggling with sin of every kind, and obviously, I mean, the other point that I really tried to make is that we're all sinners, the pastor is a sinner. Everybody in the church is sinning. Even if you've conquered your sexual sin and you think you are now an ex-sinner, you are in grave danger of crucifying again the Son of God. You've become a Pharisee. You're blind to your own brokenness. And Jesus, in his interaction with the Pharisees, always pointed beyond their outward conformity because they were good people and they were not engaged in the grosser sins. Um, and he pointed to that deep sin that's resident in all of us. Anyway, I've blathered on and on, but you can just see how uh, how invigorating to me this week was with these uh, students. I had such a good time at Kilimanjaro Christian College. Uh, and so grateful for the opportunity to go. Can't wait to go back. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, when we come back, we've got some letters and a mini-meeting and a guest that uh, has just written down some of his own thoughts on this stuff. So we will be right back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. She has only whispers of some quiet conversation. She's coming in 12.30 flights. Reflect the stars that guide me toward salvation I stopped an old man along the way Hoping to find some old forgotten words Or ancient melodies He turned to me as if to say Hurry boy, it's waiting there for you to the Pirate Monk Podcast. We are here with Mondo, Nate, and Aaron. Aaron, that was a, a pretty interesting banter uh, intro from uh, Tanzania, wasn't that? <laughs> I really enjoyed it. <laughs> I know. I wish I wish uh, I was picked for the next Tanzania trip. But. Tell, yeah. I, I saw your eyes light up when Nate said uh, he needed somebody to go on the next trip. I, so. I'm taking applications. <laughs> Well, cool. It's, well, it, it's a it's a holiness application. Yeah. So you. you, you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're here now on the second segment of the Pirate Mom podcast. We're here with letters. Uh, we've got a couple letters today, right, Nate? Yeah, yeah. We heard again from our good friend Ocala Mike. Ocala, I like Ocala Mike. Yeah, he's been silent for a while. I actually saw him on my visit down to North Florida. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah, cool, yeah. Man. 
It says it's uh, ahoy there, Nate, Mondo, and Aaron. Yeah. It's Ocala Mike again. I haven't written in a long time, but I have still really been enjoying the podcasts. The anatomy of a relapse one was a lot to digest, so I'm planning on listening to that one again. Good stuff. Also, my church has been passing around the episode about young men. Nate, really enjoyed having you at our church, especially getting to hang with you and hear some personal stories. Quick update on our Ocala group. We have a pretty solid average of about eight guys for a while. Uh, we, we had a pretty solid average of about eight guys for a while. Since you visited us, Nate, we've had a few new recruits, so that's been fun. I'm enjoying having a Silas as well as being a Silas. I never realized how much I used to live for the meetings and not work the deeper components of the society, and that's why I'm writing. Hello. I love when you guys share little tidbits about the Silas relationship. For instance, the whole checking in with answering the questions, what are you feeling, thinking, doing, and thinking about doing? That's been a really easy, practical way for me to communicate and listen. I can't uh, actually remember where I heard this one, maybe on last week's podcast, but somebody mentioned to me that when you're Silai the person who's calling a Silas. Mm-hmm. Okay, a Silai? Silai. That's kind of cool. That's right. a good one. Whatever. Okay, a Silai <laughs> confesses something like eh, looking at porn that you should ask questions that take it deeper and more specific. Anyway, hard to explain in an email. I was wondering if you guys could maybe add a new segment where maybe you tell a story about something in one of your Silas relationships or maybe just give a Silas relationship tip We don't have any guys in our group who've gone through AA or 12-step recovery, so for most of us, this is a new concept. Sometimes when I'm listening to a a Silai share, I'm wondering whether I should ask something, challenge him, or just listen, or share a story. I know the Holy Spirit leads in this area, too, and there's no one-size-fits-all advice, but I just love the wisdom of hearing those who've been doing this for a while or who've had some good Silas experiences and share them. For instance, the other day I called my Silas and he ended up our conversation by saying, Hey, you're God's man. Hang in there, okay? That really meant a lot to me. I don't know if it was an original statement or what. I immediately recognized that my dad never says that sort of stuff to me. Really, no one says those kind of things to me. Since then, I've been able to say that to two other guys. Maybe we could ask listeners to write in some of their good experiences. Anyway, in short, I just love some weekly and regular Silas slash Silai wisdom. Thanks again for what you guys do in Christ. Mike. I think that's a great suggestion, don't you? Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll throw out this week's tip okay. that I've learned. All right. Uh, we have, we've been discussing the, the difference between transparency and vulnerability a lot, and that that's a really hard one for me personally. And something we're trying to add to our conversations is for the Silas to ask their Saluvian partner. That's, that's what I call them. Yeah. A Saluvian partner. Yeah. Okay, this is good. Uh, there's, <laughs> there's no financial benefits to being a Saluvian, Saluvian partner. partner. Okay. Okay. Uh, anyways, sometimes I will say something but I really don't know how I want them to respond. So, you know, Mike asked the question, he's not sure. Should he ask another question? Should he, all of that? Yeah, yeah. So if my Silas 
asks me, so I'm I'm doing the confessing, I'm doing the talking. If he asks me, Aaron, what do you really need from me? Ooh. That that actually takes me to a new level of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a lot easier for him because mm-hmm. I have to answer the question. I don't have to be psychic, right? Uh, or, or or Pentecostal like you, yeah, Nate. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. need no special message. I just ask what, it, and and me having to answer the question of what I need is actually more intimate to me yeah. than having just confessed something. Yeah. So there's a quick tip for you, Silas folk out there. Just ask it. What do you need from me? Yeah. That's and that's a really good suggestion. And you can and really start with affirming. You know, thank yeah. thanks thanks for sharing that. That was yeah. that was hard. So what what do you need from me? Because sometimes you want a conversation about the issue. Sometimes I'll just say I just needed to tell you. Yeah. Some you know there's a yeah. there's a lot of stuff. Yeah yeah. So wow, that's great. Hey, let's do ask our listeners to write in. Uh, uh, you know Silas tips or Silas experiences. If if uh, if your Silas has been helpful to you, or if you've had a really good conversation with somebody who called you. Uh, and you can summarize that. Uh, would you mail it to us at the Samson Podcast at gmail.com? Samson Podcast at gmail.com. Yes. So we can share it with everybody else. Mm-hmm. Another suggestion if you don't have any 12 uh, step experience, uh, it would not hurt to attend a 12 step meeting somewhere in your uh, vicinity. Tell you what, those people have been doing this kind of thing real well for a long time and there's a vast fund of experience uh, if you ask about sponsors they don't do Silas's they do sponsors uh, but just listen to sponsor stories in a 12-step meeting and you'll learn a lot about this key skill of Christian fellowship that unfortunately we in the church uh, managed to lose track of a few centuries ago all right and you're lighting a candle what's that about there Aaron Oh, while I was cleaning this office, I kicked over a, a little bucket of frankincense from Ethiopia. Uh-huh. So I'm so I'm playing with it and filling my. Uh, well, I'm I'm hot boxing with frankincense, basically. Okay. All right. So don't don't mind me on the Skype view as I. Of course, you can probably hear the lighter going. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what, yeah I, what, what what you were saying was really good though. That, yeah. That stuff you just said. <laughs> okay. One more, uh, one more uh, letter. letter from a listener whose name I will withhold. Okay. But a good guy. He says, I've re- recently, uh, recently gone through a relapse after one year away from illicit sex, but I've come to realize that I wasn't truly sober. Yes, I stopped my habit of sexual acting out, but I was still uh, masturbating and looking at porn. It's funny to me that I associated porn and masturbation with getting better because four years ago that stuff would drive me to depression like sex does for me now. I tried to fight this alone over the past year but never opened my heart to anybody else. I've always been really vague with my struggle using words like past, porn, or my struggle when talking with other people. Why is it that everybody in the church feels your problems are all in the past? The frustrating thing is when we convince ourselves that we are getting better, but truthfully, we're just medicating our sickness with little doses of a similar drug. It just doesn't satisfy after so long. 
I'm basically at a point where I feel I can talk to nobody. All my good friends are pastors. I was once a minister myself, and I understand that they'd be so reserved to open up about things that could cost them their job. I'm a lay leader in my church. I run a small group for junior high boys, and I'm a youth leader. These are things I love to do, and I'm afraid if I told any part of my story, these things would be stripped from me. I understand that I'm hurt and need help. I understand that it's their problem, and my lack of trust and faith with other people is more evident to me than ever. I need prayer, but more than prayer, I need direction. Where to go? Thank you for all you do. Podcast 56 found me very well. It was right there when I needed to hear it. Uh, and thanks, uh, DR. Okay. Uh, here's a guy who, man, he white-knuckled it. He fought the good fight, but yep. he fought it all by himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was actually losing long before he thought he was losing. The relapse began earlier than he thought. Mm-hmm. But he went back to clearly out-of-bound sexual behavior after a year of staying away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's able to write to us, but he's not able to talk to anybody within his close circle of friends. And he's asking for advice. What should he do? What do you think, guys? Did, did, uh, he, my, did, did he mention anything ahead. about being in, in a uh, uh, going to meetings or anything, or just no? Or yeah, yeah. He doesn't mention it. Sounds as though, uh, you know, he has these wonderful. And our guest, I know, is going to speak to this. Okay. Okay. Going to speak to this issue. This issue. Okay. In fact, maybe rather than trying to be in real definitive here, we're going to want to get Chad Barrett on the phone. Okay. Uh, yeah, it sounds like he's in, you know, you know, sanctified company. Right, right. And everybody's sin is in the past, and he's got to be pretty vague, right, right. and nobody's going to admit anything to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and meanwhile, he feels like he's drowning. You yeah, know, I, it makes me sad just because we have the whole comments about my my closest friends are all pastors, so therefore I can't talk about this, which I can't say that that he's wrong yeah I know a lot of pastors who I would feel very unsafe with yeah but at the same time I wonder I wonder if they've ever had a chance to grow in this area yeah like somebody has to open the door and to do that is going to take risk Mm -hmm. yeah um and all all vulnerability and stepping into true fellowship and relationships is a risk Mm -hmm. yeah I'll tell you the advice I gave uh, to one of the students who asked a, posed a question in class uh, last week in Tanzania. He said, you know, he really bought into the message I was bringing, the necessity of authenticity, this call for us to confess our sins to one another, that being a daily discipline for us to do with one another. And he said, he said the problem is this is not taught, accepted, understood in my denomination. And if I were to make a confession as clear as the one that you made today, I would, uh, I'd lose my job. Uh, and the advice that I gave him was, I said, okay, so there's nobody in your denomination, uh, you know, in your area who you could confess to, but there are quite a few other leaders who are not in your denomination. Is that not true? And he said, oh, yeah. 
I said, well, it's probably going to be safer for you to walk closely with somebody who's in another denomination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I saw his eyes light up, and it seemed to me, you know, so I said, Do you, is there somebody, and he kind of kind of nodded, yeah, and I could tell. He had somebody in mind that he, yeah. could, that he could talk to. Yeah. And I think that's the strength of the Pastor Pirates in San Luis, uh, Aaron, is that you guys cross denominational lines, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it is good. Sometimes you just need that guy from another church. You know, we have all the people on on our staffs of the two different churches we have together there, which is really cool to have that. But yeah. sometimes you just need to talk to somebody outside of that. So yeah, I I think that is a great suggestion. And the other the other thing that uh, D here is going to have to reconcile is there were some false paradigms uh, about his behavior before this next step backwards yeah, yeah. with the porn and with the masturbation, especially uh, you know, being a leader of junior high kids that are really getting into that and struggling with that. Mm-hmm. I think those are some things that need to get cleared up in his own mind because mm-hmm. uh, that's going to be important uh, to lead from a vulnerable place yeah. with those, those kids. That's an yeah. important thing. So I... I, it, not knowing the people around him, it's hard to give the specifics. Mm-hmm. I would, I would certainly think there are ways to kind of test the waters with some of those pastor friends. Yeah, yeah. Without making it a, a do or die situation for them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, but really, to very purposefully be pushing it. It's not just being vague to avoid it. Right, right. But bottom line, he's going to have to find brothers to walk. Right. Absolutely. Or this thing is not going to change. Right, and I, I applaud his his uh, his courage to even write us. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I mean, I don't want to take that lightly either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think his courage to write us was huge, but uh, that can't be it. Right. You yeah. Know, yeah. He, he, yeah. He definitely has to find somebody. I definitely agree with that. Yeah. Well, with our guests, we're going to be talking about the circle of three, not a new concept, but brought into this conversation, I think will be fresh and refreshing. So is it time to do that? Yeah, or? I think. I think maybe we'll, uh, we'll go to break and then come back with, with, uh, with our guest, Chad Barrett. Very good. Father, heal me when I pray. Send the Savior on his way. Holy Spirit, come and stay. Lord, I'll need you all this day. I am weak and weary, warm. I am bitter. And forlorn, such a dark and dreary land. Come and take my weary hand. All right, our guest today uh, is Chad Barrett, a Texan and author of a new book called Journey to Freedom. The Pursuit of Authentic Fellowship Among Men. Uh, welcome, Chad. Hey, Chad. Thank you. So great to be here. It's really an honor. Uh, 
Yeah, well, we're thrilled that you're able to, uh, to join us. Boy, I wish we'd had you on the phone a minute ago as we read a, uh, a letter from a listener. Maybe I can just recap it for you. Uh, so okay. that you, so that you can speak to it. Here's a guy who's working on a church staff. He's wait. Uh, he's not church staff. Oh, he's not church staff. He's, he's a volunteer. Pre- previously been volunteering, uh, leading a small group, and working with junior hires. Yeah, he used to be. I do okay. know this from another letter. He used to be on paid staff. Uh, he he quit. Uh, ministry felt kind of like a prison to him. He he then went into. A, a, a kind of a wild year and a half of sexual acting out where he did stuff he'd never done before, massage parlors and other stuff. Then, um, you know, repented uh, and had a year and a half of what, a, a year of what he thought was sobriety, although there were certain personal sexual uh, uh, habits that he did not stop. And then eventually... Uh, the wheels came off, and he had a relapse. Wow. Uh, he said, I tried to fight this fight alone over the past year, but I never opened my heart to anybody else. I've always been very vague with my struggle about my struggle with sin, using words like my past, my thorn, my struggle. Why is it that everybody in the church feels your problems are in the past? The, um, so uh, here's the thing. Uh, I'm basically at a point where I feel I can talk to no one. All my good friends are pastors. And I was once a minister myself, and I understand why they'd be so reserved to open up about things that could cost them their job. I'm a lay leader in my church. I run a small group for junior high boys. I'm a youth leader. Uh, These are things I love to do, and I'm afraid if I told any part of my story, these things would be stripped from me. I understand that I'm hurt and I need help. I understand there's a problem. what am I going to do? And so he finds himself, you know, uh, I think, and I really resonate with this story, that there was there were a few months there when he thought he'd turned the corner. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, you know, he was fighting the solo fight, but eventually he got tired. Uh, you know, the addiction outworked him, and he began to, to uh, fuzz the edges, you know, began to do things on the fringes of behavior that were dangerous and eventually yeah. he was back over the edge of the precipice. Wow, yeah. That's a, that I'm sure that that's familiar. an uncommon thing, isn't it, Chad? <laughs> it is not uncommon at I I've I have heard that I, I have read that letter many, many times. Obviously not that exact same one, but one just like that and heard uh heard the hearts of so many guys who have had that exact same cry, and uh, you know, late Nate, I think it's—I think it has to do with just uh, a series of lies that we tell ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, um, I've reached a certain point, so I don't have to be as cautious, or I can handle this on my own, mm-hmm. or if I do share my story with somebody it's going to destroy me mm-hmm. you know those are those are three common lies that we tell ourselves that uh that i think are from the pits of hell and god has clear things in his word um that are just the opposite where truth is foundational and christ said himself uh truth will set you free yeah yeah 
You know, even even in that letter, when you read it again, Nate, I think it really does. It does speak to what Chad sang because there were lines like, "Why is it that everybody in the church speaks of their sin in past tense?" Mm-hmm. And we've talked about how words create the world we live in. Yeah, words always create worlds. And uh, that statement is really a setup for isolation, isn't it? Because yeah. it's not it's not true, mm-hmm. but it's it's speaking that lie back into his own heart so that it it justifies not taking that risk and believing those lies that Satan wants to use to keep him out of uh, getting that circle of three, like Chad talks about in his book, which I think he's got to talk about now, right, Nate? Make him make him talk about. It. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, Chad. You point out in Journey to Freedom that Jesus had a very large circle of friends, acquaintances, the seventy. He had a closer mm-hmm. circle, the twelve, mm-hmm. and then even among the twelve, there were three with whom he was closer than anybody else: Peter, James, and John. And right. It's your opinion that that's that should be kind of a pattern for us in the way uh, we relate to those around us. uh, If all we have are, you know, 70s level Mm -hmm. relationships, Mm -hmm. we're going to eventually run into trouble. Talk some more about that, will you, Chad? Yeah, sure. Um, You know, it's not not a passage in Scripture where it's a commandment that we should pattern uh, our fellowship after this, but it's, it's, it's something that Christ did, and... We, we are commanded to have fellowship, and we are commanded to have a certain level of fellowship. And I think there there is a level of common sense, uh, of um, appropriateness. Mm-hmm. Um, I, Christ is perfect, and I think he did it perfectly. I know he did it perfectly. Um, I, I wanted to look at the life of Christ from an aspect of fellowship with his disciples. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, 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 and as you stated, he had... He had his seventy, and he sent them out in two by in, in twos, and he had a certain purpose for sending those disciples out. But uh, and and being careful about speculating, but we're we're human. Christ was human, as he was a hundred percent God as well. In his humanness, I can just imagine the level of fellowship that he had with those seventy. I mean, they they traveled with him. Mm-hmm. In fact, he had a larger number than 70 of, of disciples mm-hmm. um, that traveled with him. Uh, but he chose those 70, and he trusted them to the point of using them for his ministry. So the, 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 the fellowship he, he had with them must have been fantastic. Mm-hmm. And uh, I equate that um, with our local church. I go to... Uh, I'm a member of Kingwood Bible Church in Kingwood, Texas. Uh, Kingwood's a suburb of Houston. And my, my church, uh, we, we have more than 70, so I'm not equating the number itself, but the principle of the thing is I have a large group of people um, that that I am striving to have a, a level of fellowship with. And I, I think we misunderstand biblical fellowship, the way mm-hmm. it's described. In Scripture, especially First John, which, in my understanding, is a book of fellowship. Um, I, I, you know, oftentimes we see fellowship in, in our in our local churches as that um, that brief two or three minutes on Sunday mornings. That uh, okay, y'all stand up and greet one another. You know, yeah, you're right. I yeah, love yeah. doing. 
you know, I love doing those things and, 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 and talking about uh, our, our golf game with my buddies and stuff like that. I, I think we make the mistake of equating biblical fellowship with casual friendship. Yeah. And it, it's much deeper than that. And I think Christ wants his local churches to experience a deeper, authentic fellowship. Yeah. And, and then Christ had uh, 12. He called the 12 uh, to be his followers. Now, they, these guys, I mean, they, they were fishermen. They, uh, they I wouldn't be surprised if they had their own Greek four-letter words that slipped out of their mouths yeah, from time right. to time. And, and, <laughs> and you know, they, they, they messed up, and, and they, they goofed off. I mean, Peter was uh, had foot-in-the-mouth disease. You know, he, he, was, he was a loud mouth. And uh, John was, was probably the youngest one, maybe in his upper teens, early 20s. He was, you know, there was a, you know, uh, uh, probably social immaturity there, perhaps. You know, it's, these are just regular, common, ordinary guys like we are today. Mm-hmm. There's not a difference. Sure, there's a cultural difference and the, the time difference, but these are guys. Yeah. Um, I can just imagine that deep, intimate fellowship that Christ had with these disciples. Three and a half years, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, these guys traveled with him, you know, sitting around a campfire, mm-hmm. their discussions. Um, I mentioned in my book just a, just a story made up I mean, can you imagine being one of the disciples and and uh and he you know you're waking up one morning and you're splashing the cold water from the sea of galilee in your face on the beach and peter's uh flipping fr- fish patties you know above the campfire and all the guys are trying to wake up and jesus looks at you and says so i i know about the dream you had last night it was about that young lady who you saw in the marketplace yesterday you know and you think oh man i'm i'm caught you know, I mean, I, I can't hide this from him, from him. There's, you know, here comes the condemnation, and he puts his arm around me and brings me back to the other, the other eleven disciples, and he says, "Well, guys, um, y'all, y'all saw that uh, that same lady in the marketplace. Uh, this, our brother here had a dream about him last night, and I imagine my face getting red and thinking, wow, this is just horrible.' You know, and Peter says, "Yep, I saw her too. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest." You know, and Andrew says, "Hey, I I didn't look twice this time." You know, or and and and, 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 Christ, and Christ says, "You know, Andrew, that's great, that's a great victory." And he looks to me with his arm around me, goes, "You can have this victory too." And so I confess my sin to to him, and and he smiles and pulls me in, and he says, "I know it's tough. We can get through this together." And he looks at everyone else, and 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 there's that camaraderie, there's that support, there's that that obvious struggle that we all deal with but Christ brings it up. Yeah. And that that's what I that's what I wanted to portray in this book. <laughs> Look guys, there's something so obvious that all of us deal with. And we are all striving to break out of uh, of a sexual addiction or we're all striving not to fall into one or we're all striving to 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 live holy as 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 Christ has called us to be holy. But unfortunately, we're all we're all walking in different lanes, and why not bring up the obvious and deal with it? Yeah, and I so, and I can just imagine Jesus doing this with his twelve. So, Chad, to our to the the guy that wrote that letter, 
what would you say are the first practical steps of, uh, obviously he's got a larger community of people because he's very involved in his church. How does he get it to the place where he does have those three people? How do you bridge the gap to having those three? Because that's a, that's a scary gap to bridge. It is a very scary gap to bridge. And, and, and I think the very first thing our brother needs to do is, is to stop telling himself lies mm-hmm. and to replace what he's telling himself with truth and truth is is obviously in scripture and uh um there there are truth passages in there that that uh commandments to bear with one another's burdens um you know paul says bear with one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of christ and the law of christ is to love one another and love one another the agape love is is a sacrificial all-giving uh, taking initiative, not expecting anything in return kind, kind of love. And I'm convinced that if we loved one another that way, then we would be bearing one another's burden. So I would, I, I, I would uh, strongly encourage my brother there who wrote that letter to replace the lies that he's telling himself. For example, I, ha- I have to do this alone. I will be destroyed if I tell somebody, you know, with truth that God wants me to bear the burdens of others, and God wants somebody to bear my burden with me. Yeah. And, um, you know, in, in, in the book that I wrote, you know, I, I showed that Christ didn't just have his twelve, but he had his three, Peter, James, and John, who saw things about, who saw things about Jesus that the others did not see. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, I'm convinced that in Jesus's deity as God, he desired that fellowship, like he desires fellowship with us. Mm-hmm. And I'm convinced that in his in his humanity, he needed that fellowship, yeah. not to keep him from falling into sin, but he needed that fellowship, that camaraderie, for support, for 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 love, for uh, for closeness. Yeah. Like when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he asked his three. Please be with me and pray with me while I'm sweating drops of blood. I think mm-hmm. it's in humanity he needed that. Yeah. And I would I would encourage my brother to uh, to prayerfully or to pray and ask God who place the picture of the guy in my church who I can ask to join my three to yeah. that that I can be completely open and honest with and uh, and and I can have two three or four other guys who. Who I who I can um, who I can be real with who I can be myself with right. who who will not mind me giving them a call at two in the morning saying guys I can't sleep and I'm I'm struggling with temptation to to, to look at something or to go somewhere or to do something um, you know those kinds of guys who are, who are trustworthy who are uh, who are striving to be holy as our brother is striving to be holy. Yeah, yeah. So we don't have to tell everything to everybody in order to be honest men or to live an authentic life. But we do no, have I, to, right? Right. I agree with you. And right. sometimes that can even make that can make a larger meeting awkward or even feel unsafe. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I was chatting with a brother uh, on on your samsonsociety.net last night um, who uh, who who is struggling with a, a sexual sin and 
um, you know, he, he said, I, I, I just want more guys and more guys and more guys for, that I can be completely open with, you know, uh -huh. and he was asking me about how I do that. And, you know, it is so freeing to finally unleash or, or release all the hidden yeah. dark secrets, you know, and, and, and in a way you just want to kind of tell everybody. Yeah. But I think, I think it's just I, I, I think it's a, I think it's wise and appropriate. And I told my brother here last night on your website that, you know, I have a small handful of guys who know everything about me, and, and, and that's all I tell. Yeah. Um, these are guys. These are guys that are trustworthy, that are my yeah. confidant, and, uh, and 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 this is all I tell. Yeah. Um, my twelve. I think that's good advice. Would, by the way. I, yeah, I think so. My, my twelve would be like my. My adult Bible fellowship, or, or my small group that meets on Wednesday nights, you mm -hmm. know, um, and I would; those are mixed companies, there's men and women. I don't, I don't share everything about about myself with that. But out of that, I have my three. Yeah, they know the real Chad Barrett. Yeah, you know, Chad, I, I'm, uh, I'm the token person here that's worse than everybody else, so I'm not going to assume that anybody else does this. But I know I like to have a lot of people that I can share the details with. So that way, if I feel embarrassed about what I have to confess, I can go to someone I haven't talked to for a while and they'll honor <laughs> me for it. Yeah. So having a sure. lot of people to be in a, to be intimate yeah. with is actually a great tool for safety and dishonesty with those three that I promise to be totally honest with. Yeah, yeah, sure. But that's just me because I'm bad, bad. Well, I love your I love your heart for authentic fellowship and your your vision for it, your passion for it. Um, it, it where can our listeners uh, pick up a copy of the book? Uh, they can go to um, the publisher site, westbowpress.com. Uh, that's W-E-S-T-B-O-W-P-R-E-S-S, uh, -E westbowpress.com. And then uh, just in the search, they can just do click uh, type the Journey to Freedom. Right. And it'll, it'll, it'll pull it right up. All right. And we'll uh, work on getting a link to that on a resource page at the Samson Society site as well. And it should be in about a month or so. It'll be up on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, those those sites as okay. well. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, God bless you for writing the book, Chad. And uh, I love, uh, you know, I I love reading stuff that resonates with what, what you know God's put in my own heart and the and the path that He has me on with my brothers here in Tennessee, and to know that He's speaking the same thing to guys you know in a foreign country down there in Texas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, we are a different, a totally different world down here. But uh, you know, your book, Nate, really inspired me. And uh, um, one of the things I loved about your story is you can present things in it that, you know, uh, um, that put a a visual in my mind that I wish I didn't have. You yeah. were very tasteful with it. Yeah. Um, I, I love one of the things you said about your your book is that in churches there are no men who lust. There are no adulterers, no idolaters, no one who cheats yeah. on taxes and stuff like that. But by golly, we should be. 
yeah. we should realize that that's who we are, and yeah. um, and we should strive to to uh, to support and to uplift one another that way. And um, I think that's the beauty of this authentic biblical fellowship that uh, that I discuss in the book. So. I, yeah, prog- I enjoy it. It was, it was a fun study for me to go through. I, I learned so much. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, thanks again. Uh, look, forward to, uh, look forward to seeing you when I get down to Houston next. I'll let you know when I'm, when I'm in your area, Chad. Or if you come up here to Nashville, make sure and let us know. Hey, sure will. Thank you so much, guys. It was thanks, an honor. Chad. Okay, once again, Chad Barrett. The book is Journey to Freedom, published by Westbow Press. You can get it at the Westbow website or uh, in the not-too-distant future, be able to buy it online. All right, we will be right back on the Pirate Monk Hunt. Well, Mondo, the time has flown. Yes, it has. Uh, we were going to do a mini-meeting, but uh, the time has flown. Well, next week we'll do a really good mini-meeting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Andy had a... Uh, Andy. Yeah. Uh, Aaron. Uh, Aaron had another meeting to go to, a business yeah. meeting, so yeah. he's actually exited this one. Yes. Yeah. That's all right. I think. Aaron? Yeah, no, he's gone. He's gone. He's history. <laughs> uh, well, here's something going on over there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, hey. Maybe we could... <laughs> But it's been a good time. Yeah, it has, man. Uh, I've enjoyed this uh, conversation. Yeah. It's given us a lot to think about. Great talking with Chad, wasn't it? It was awesome, man. It was awesome. And I I look forward to hearing updates uh, from my brother who wrote in. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And seeing how his progress is going. And I'm in town for the next few weeks. We're going to be able to do regular episodes of the Pirate Monk Podcast. We got some good guests coming up. All right, guys. We got a nice run. Uh, ahead of us. Yes, we do. Well, good stuff. So, guys, uh, please write in, as uh, you requ- requested earlier. Yeah, please. Please write in samsonpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, suggestions, letters, uh, topic suggestions, anything. Uh, Silas stories. Silas stories. Anything that might encourage yeah. the other listeners to the podcast. Yeah, let's help each other. Let's plug in. Let's, let's get involved. Let's share our stuff, man. So, All right. Awesome. Until next week. It's uh, Nate and Mondo Mm -hmm. saying goodbye on behalf of our absent brother, Aaron. (laughs) Uh, We love you. Uh, So long from the Pirate Monk Podcast.